Well, take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to 1 John chapter number 2. We'll continue in our series here in 1 John. I meant to mention, um, of course, Patch and Pee Wee this upcoming Sunday night. Look forward to that. So uh, pray for all those participating. I appreciate the hard work that uh, Brother Greg and Miss Jackie, um, Patch and then Pee Wee, uh, they put forth a lot of a lot of hours there, and uh, it's not just a filler, you know. I mean, it helps, obviously. You have, church, you have choir practice, and kids have got to be somewhere while adults are up here, right? And so it, it is good, but it's also very purposeful, and, and many more are involved than just those that have parents in the choir. And so it's a great, great opportunity. So pray for that this upcoming Sunday night. Uh, Angie and I are doing a marriage retreat on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In, uh, it's in Branson, but it's for Tabernacle Baptist Church of Lebanon, Missouri. So if you'd pray for that, I'd appreciate it. And uh, just that God would use it to help marriages. Amen. So preach on marriage on Sunday morning. And having preached that, now the opportunity to try to help uh, marriages this upcoming weekend. So pray for God's blessings there. All right, we're in 1 John chapter 2. And uh, let's begin our reading here tonight in verse number 12, uh, cover the verses that we covered last week, verses 12 through 14, and then we'll look at our text, verses 15 through 17 here tonight. So the apostle writes, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. They are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers. Because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children. Okay, so if you haven't tuned in yet, now would be a good time. He's kind of going back over some of those things. All right, he says, I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. Verse 14, I write unto you fathers because you have known him from, that is from the beginning. I write unto, I have written rather, I may not have read verse 14. I have written, he says in verse 14 and then in the middle part of it, he says, I have written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, verse 17, the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So these are some powerful verses right here. Uh, powerful verses. And we're in our series, Love, Love God's Way. But if we don't get verses 15 through 17 right, we won't love God's way. The Bible tells us, in fact, John wrote that God so loved the world. But here it says, love not the world. So which is it? Yes. Both. So here's the title tonight. 
If you remember last week's title, uh, perhaps out of 1 John, we talked about the battle for maturity in the local church, the battle for maturity. I'd like to hit that again, the battle for maturity in the local church. Tonight, it's the battle for your heart. The battle for your heart. Choose your love carefully. Choose your love carefully. Too many of God's children are loving the wrong world. Too many of God's children are loving the wrong world. Hope to make that clear here tonight and apply it. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Taking a little liberty here tonight. I didn't ask the Birchets if I could um, just share this. I don't think that they would mind. Of course, we're praying for her, but... um, as I was at the hospital early this morning and asking her about her situation, it's very much interesting to me because my dad uh, had open heart surgery. He, first of all, had open heart surgery because he had rheumatic fever as a child. It damaged his heart valve. And so he had, uh, he had open heart surgery in 1977. Um, and uh, I believe that was the year. And they put in a, they put in a pig valve. Okay. It's amazing to me what medical, the medical world can do. I mean, it really is just astounding. So in time, they knew that that valve would begin to leak. So 1993, I'll never forget when I was called out of um, uh, my junior, one of the junior classes at high school. And so my dad's heart began leaking again. He was working as a lineman there. And so uh, anyways, they had to do emergency surgery at Vanderbilt Hospital and they put in a St. Jude's valve. The St. Jude's valve is a mechanical valve. And so uh, years of advancement. And so they, they put in that valve. It, it literally, uh, you can hear it ticking. So like when I was from my dad, from here to the pulpit, I'd hear my dad's heart. Now he didn't hear it. Oh, how that worked. And my mom didn't hear it. But my brother and I, we would hear it. And we'd like to say that dad took a look and just kept on ticking. You know I mean? Just literally just... It's incredible, you know, love it. Uh, it really extended my, da- my dad's life. It really did. I mean, they, they uh, you know, um, I didn't think he'd see, you know, his grandkids from Angie and I, but he did. And so uh, it's quite remarkable. So anyways, Miss Cheryl's um, surgery is of particular interest to me because of that. And hers was a little bit different. I don't, I don't even want to pretend like I understand all the medical terms even that are used and such. But I did understand this this morning, what What's happened is that from her open heart surgery and valve replacement four years ago is that, and there's a medical term, it just slid right by me like most of them do. Uh, But it basically means this, that there was some bacteria that got on, on that valve and it began to damage the valve. And so for the last four years, she's actually been on a certain measure of, um, of antibiotics, just trying to fight it that way. But, but watch this, anything pertaining to the heart is so serious that when it's of that nature, you've got to act as radically as it requires to do something about that damage. And so that bacteria was there. And, and the word that, that she actually used, that the doctor used, she said, you know, for lack of better terms, is just that that, that bacteria is so sticky. We, we've, got to, we've got to do something about it. And so they had to go in and replace it. Well, she said that the nurse was... Um, kind of hesitant to say, you know, we're, the doctor thinks that you're going to have to have this replacement. And, and, uh, but as, as soon as that was mentioned, then Ms. Cheryl said, well, when do you want to do this? I mean, she was ready. 
Here's why. Because she had, was experiencing shortness of breath and she had indications that she needed something done in her heart. It could be tonight that something is attacked or attached itself, not to your physical heart, but it could be tonight that something has attached itself to your spiritual heart. And if you, if you don't do something about that, whether it's bitterness or whether it's lust or whether it's anger, or, I mean, there's a host of things that can really do damage. Are you listening to me here tonight? There's a host of things that can really do damage to your heart and, and would really limit the quality of life that you have and maybe even the longevity of life that you have. And, and so here, here the Apostle John is, is writing to them and he says, listen, love not the world. That has to do with your heart. Now, I recognize he doesn't use the, the, ver, the terminology or noun heart here, but, but we, we understand that, don't we, when we talk about love? You, well, it's not your physical heart that, that is, you know, uh, doing that love, but your spiritual heart. We use it figuratively because the Bible does, of course, and God cares about your heart. Cares about the uh, health of your heart and what is in your heart. And he's saying right here, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And so uh, he's very concerned about these believers. And so what I'd like to do tonight is, is a little bit of review because what John is recognizing is that people even that are in church, regardless of their age, because he says little children, fathers, and young men, and none of them are exempt from what he says in verses 15 through 17 that is next. Because when he says, love not the world, it's plural. And he's saying it to those that are maybe newly born again, the little children. He's saying it to the young men. He's saying it to the older men. And I'm saying tonight that not one among us here tonight is immune from something getting in our heart and doing some damage in there. Worldliness has destroyed many a believer. Worldliness has gotten into churches and destroyed many churches. I remember when we went through the book of Judges, I came across um, a writer named Daniel Block, and he said this about Israel during the time of the Judges. He said, by the time we reach the end of the book of uh, about the Israelites, about whom we're reading here in the book of Judges, they're scarcely distinguishable from the Canaanites whom they were there to replace. He said, you couldn't really tell the difference between who an Israelite was and who a Canaanite was. They really were pretty much looking about the same. He said this, God is always far more interested in preserving his people than his people are even in preserving themselves. G. Campbell Morgan said that the church did the most for the world when the church was least like the world. Uh, A.R. Fawcett, I believe is how you say his last name anyways, he said this, it is not our being in the world that ruins us, but our suffering the world to be in us. Just as ships sink, not by being in the water, but by water being or allowed to be in them. Does that make sense to you? 
It's not a problem for a ship to be in the water going across the ocean, but it is problematic if the water from the ocean gets into the ship. Now you've got a problem. Hey, look, we live in this world. We live in this, this, this world that has its ideas about life and has its influences. I mean, I mean, really, we, we can't escape that fact. We live in this world. I, I'm not proposing tonight that, that by any means we're going to form a compound here. We're not going to go outside these walls. We're going to order food in and just stay here till Jesus comes. No, listen, that's not realistic. That's not even biblical. That's not what God wanted us to do. God wants us to be in the world, but he doesn't want the world to be in us. And so he says, love not the world. Some of you here tonight have too much of an infatuation with the world. And you may only be here because you're required to be here by your wife. Or by your parents. Or by your school. Or by the expectation and even some of the church peer pressure. But how about we just get back to just New Testament church living here tonight that, that is rooted in love, not in rules. It's rooted in love for God who first loved us, mind you. And so he says here, love not the world. I remember uh, Brother Bill Marshall was um, taking a little criticism. If I remember the story right, it's been many, many years ago that I heard this story, but he's taking a little bit of criticism and, and um, because he was always preaching hard against sin. I mean, how else are you going to preach against sin? He was preaching hard against sin because of the destructive nature of sin. Hey, listen, I, I think we ought to have a holy hatred of sin and its effects on our lives. Just like maybe you'd have a holy hatred of cancer and its ill effects upon a body. Then, then listen, you've got to be concerned about the effects of sin upon a person's life. And so he's preaching hard against sin. And, and somebody said, I just wish, preacher, that you'd, you'd, you'd just take a whole sermon and just preach about love. Just preach about love. And so he did. First John chapter 5, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Amen. It's about love. That's good. I read this statement. I want you to think about it with me here as we get just a little bit further in, in our consideration of this very important text. Victory is assured. Resistance is required. Victory is assured. What, what, what is that in reference to? Well, if you remember last week, we said that chapter 2 and verses 14, sorry, 12 through 14 is arranged around six verbs that were in the perfect tense. And I, I don't want to make any kind of Greek grammarians. That's not the goal. But the goal is this. You can read it right there in English when he says that your sins, watch this, your sins are forgiven. That means it's something that was accomplished in the past that has ongoing results into the future. Now, everybody in here can understand that and ought to appreciate it. If you're saved tonight, listen, you ought to rejoice in this fact. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and you have overcome, he says to the young men. You have overcome. He says, you, he says to the fathers, you have known the Father. I'm sorry, you have known him that is from the beginning about the Lord Jesus Christ. You have known him. You have known him in the past. You know him now and you'll know him forever. So in other words, he's saying all these, all these 
indicative statements. He's saying, this is true. Your sins are forgiven. You know him. Uh, you have overcome him. So listen, victory is assured. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Victory is assured, but resistance is required. So yes, through Christ Jesus, he has made us victorious over the world. But that does not mean that now you're in some kind of a holy neutral zone. Where you can kind of let down your resistance. And think, you know, I, I think that maybe people are being a little bit too narrow-minded. You know, especially when they preach on Wednesday nights and preach so hard, you know, about sin and get a little bit red in the face. And the eyes start bulging just a little bit. I mean... Right? I think maybe we can just kind of take a little bit of a softer view of sin. Not that sin that took our Savior to the cross. Not that sin that'll mess up a family. Not, the, not those sins that'll, that'll, that'll mess up an individual life before it ever really gets started. Hey, listen, we got to be concerned about the things that God's concerned about. And he says right here, he says, based on who you are, here's how you ought to live. In fact, that's how the whole Bible is set up, is that the imperatives are following close behind the indicatives. In other words, the duty that we have follows the doctrine that we have. The, the, the behavior... The behavior, the way that we ought to behave our lives has got to be based on our beliefs in Jesus Christ. So beliefs precede behavior. The book of Romans is set up that way. Ephesians is set up that way. Colossians is set up that way. Okay, the Bible is set up that way. Because, listen, who we are in Christ has got to be lived out in our lives. So that is verses 12 through 14. And so based on that, knowing that they were kind of reeling from some of the disappointment of people that had left the church and, and, and were no longer with them, and they weren't even showing, they were showing actually more hatred towards them, mean-spiritedness. They did not love the people of God like John, but they had a real love for the world. And so they left. Hurts every time a church member leaves, doesn't it? It ought to can be disillusioning. So they were going through that, but John also understood this. Hey, listen, all of that could cause you to be disillusioned, but also this, you're going to face temptation every single day from a world that is just infiltrating our lives. I read somebody that used an illustration about scuba diving. I, I've never been, not sure that I'd really want to because anyways, it's just, it's a little intimidating. You know, I love water, I love swimming, but I like breathing. But I do understand this, that if you're going to go down, you know, my friend Kent Hogan, I was just talking to him about it. And, and he's, anyways, just he's trained in that way and trains others. But when you go down 50 feet and you go down 100 feet and you go down further, then it is essential that you keep your mask on. Am I right about that? You say, I don't think you have to be that narrow. I think you can kind of take it off. Do you get the illustration? We're, we are immersed in this world, but you better keep your mask on. You better keep your mask on or you'll drown in many hurtful lusts. So John, with a heart of love, was saying to the people of his day, love not the world. And, and with God's help tonight, I just want to try to get across to everybody here. Listen, that applies to you. Don't flirt with the world. They, can, they make it look so good, so acceptable, 
living this way. I mean, they, they are so deceitful. I mean, the world is. By the way, you got to remember this. The world is under the jurisdiction of none other than Satan. It is that world system. You see, that's, that's the differentiation here between the two. When, when in John chapter 3 and verse number 16, cosmos, we're used to that word. Were you familiar with that word? It's the same word that's used here. But in John 3, 16, he says, God so loved the world. And what he's talking about there is the world of humanity. He loves all people. But right here, when he says love not the world, he's talking about that, that world system that is anti-God, anti-Christian values. That world that is so opposed to Christ. That world that is so opposed to holiness. He's saying, listen, don't love that world system. That worldly way of thinking. Love the people of the world. Have a holy love for them to go after them. But don't, don't have that love for the world's ways that makes you want to participate with them. You follow it? Love them. We, we need to love the people that are caught in fornication and adultery and homosexuality and drunkenness and reveling and partying and, and, and listening to sensual music and listening to rock music and rap music and country music and, and, and watching filthy things. We need to love the people that are like that. But listen, it ought not be once named among us as become a saints that we should participate in the sins in which they are participating. And it's sad that Lot's wife was looking back longing. By the way, she didn't turn to a pillar of salt just because she took a quick glance. The idea is that she was looking back thinking, man, I can't believe I have to leave all this to go and follow God's will. Tonight, look, it's either going to be God's will or the world's ways in your life. And there's a battle that's raging right now, I believe, hot and heavy in this auditorium for your heart, for every one of our hearts, this preacher's heart included, because none of our hearts are ever in neutral. Never in neutral. Your heart is always either actively loving and serving God or you're actively loving and serving yourself. There's no middle ground on this, friend. I'm telling you, there is no middle ground. And your heart, you'd be deceiving yourself into thinking, that no, I, I've been in church a long time. I'm clear. No, you're a father of the church or a mother of the church and you're not clear because it applies to you. I'm a young man who's strong. I know the word. Yeah, and it applies to you because, listen, the same ungodliness that is in the world is also in your heart as well. And all you have to do is just kind of let your guard down for a little while, young lady or let your guard down young man for just a little while and you end up someplace you never dreamed you'd be because there's a battle raging for your hearts little children my soul aren't our kids under a, the the inundation of uh, of a secular world that is trying to indoctrinate you from very infancy and and through even uh sitcoms and through hollywood and through disney and pixar and kind of making you think that everything else is okay that's outside of god's will listen friend there's still a god in heaven who who knows what is right and knows what is wrong and we're not to love the world the world system and in the world's ways all the while that we're trying to love them out of it Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's what he says. The love of the Father is not in him. What does he mean right there? Well, obviously it doesn't mean that God's love is not in that person's life, but rather it's this way. If you love the world, you're not loving the Father. Now listen, that's the bigger issue. That's the bigger issue. 
I like what Jude said. I thought about Jude, not the sound man, but the one who wrote the epistle. Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You know what that means? That doesn't mean I need to keep God in love with me. I don't need to keep God in love with me. God always loves me. He always loves you. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. God loves you unconditionally. But how many would agree here tonight? There's times in my life when I've loved God more and there's times in my life when I've loved God less. And so Jude has just cleared off a spot right there to say this. Listen, it is your personal responsibility to keep yourself in love with God. How do you do that? Well, it can be as simple as, as staying in the word and staying in a place of prayer. But notice the progression that Warren Wiersbe pointed out about the world as, as he talked about, as he talked about the world and its, and its ways. And, and he said, he said this, that you don't end up in the world all at one time. You kind of ease into it. There's an affection for the world that you gravitate towards. And then you get into the world and then here's what, listen, here's what happens. You get spotted by the world. The world will give you a bad name. And then if you don't turn back to God and come back to loving him, then there'll be more blemishes and more scars. Am I telling the truth right here tonight? More blemishes, more scars, more blots. And so then what happens? You, you've gone from just having an affection for the world. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, oh, hang on. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, y'all didn't go anywhere, so you're waiting. He said it actually started this way, that love for the world, but then this, friendship with the world. Then spotted by the world. Then conformed to the world. And then condemned with the world in the sense that you get chastened by the Father if you are His. It may even cause you a short life. This is serious stuff right here. The best thing you could do is turn back to the Father right now. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. Because you can't say that you're loving the Father while you're listening to raunchy music. You can't say that you love the Father when you're reading a raunchy novel or whatever kind of novel, whatever adjective you want to put with that that's ungodly, un, unwholesome for your life and, and, and around an ungodly friendship that's attaching itself to your heart. And it's eating away at the fiber of your heart. And you listen to me here tonight. You, you may not even realize the damage that is being done by that bacteria of sin that is clinging and it's sticky and it's hard to get rid of. And you, you listen, you need a daily dose of the word just to keep ourselves cleared out. But listen, if you don't do something soon, it may get more and more drastic and so that there's serious surgery that's going to have to happen. Friendship. Spotted conformed, judged with, hurt by. It's a serious stuff. He explains in verse 16 why, why the world is so diabolically opposed to the things of God. For all that is in the world, and he listed it in three, lust of the flesh, that's what's in you. The appetites, the crazings, cra- crazings, cra- cravings, crazings too, cravings. The cravings, the desires, the impulses, it's, it's what's inside of you. It's, it's that you, you want something. You know, what, you know what Satan's real good at? Taking something that even maybe is a God-given desire, but seeing to it that you try to meet that desire or fulfill that desire in a forbidden way. 
Samson's desire for a woman was the right desire, but he fulfilled it in the wrong way and it cost him. The lust of the flesh, the cravings of the flesh, the desires of that sinful part of us, every one of us. That craving for, for acceptance and recognition and, 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 and position and power and prestige and plenty and craving for what you don't have. But then he moves on to this, the lust of the eyes, which works in conjunction with the lust of the flesh. Because not only do you have that inward desire within you, but then you see something that you don't have and you want it. David saw Bathsheba. And he wanted her. And then he tried to hide the sin because of the pride of life. I'm telling you, these three intertwine. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Achan. Achan's going into battle with his fellow comrades. They're marching into Jericho. The walls have come down. There's chaos in the city. And he eyes a Babylonian garment. He saw it. He desired it. He took it. He hid it. He hid it in the tent. He had no idea where he was going to wear it. Did you ever think of that? Where was Aiken going to wear that thing? Man, Aiken, nice threads. Yeah, no. Where'd you get it? Uh, Walmart? No, he, he couldn't say where he got it from. But man, he was going to look good in it around the house. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Pride of life has this idea. You know, the first two, I see something that I want that I don't have. Pride of life is this idea. I'm going to be proud of what I do have. Everyone, everybody that I studied after said this, it's a false pretense. In fact, I like the way that William Barclay uh, said it, that he, he said that it's showing off what you are deceived in the thinking that you have. Something like that. Actually, he said it a lot better than that. But anyways, there's no way I'm going to find it in my notes right now. You get the idea? Pride in what you do have. Desiring what you don't have. Pride in what you do have. Pride of life. I wonder how many bank accounts that's upset because somebody wanted to buy a car because they look good in it. You know, cars are expensive right now. I've been shopping for since September or August. Anyways, mercy... Sakes alive. You know what really I need is just a car or truck that'll run. But I kind of want a certain symbol on it. I kind of want a certain look to it. You know what what God dealt with me of that? That's the pride of life. So what are you going to do? I'm going to (laughs) pray. And just say, God, I, I want whatever car you want me to have, but let me give you a list. We would be deceiving ourselves into thinking that we don't deal with this. Whether it's the pride of what kind of home you live in or what kind of decorations that you put in that home. And by the way, I know God's not against all those things unless, and here's what worldliness is. Worldliness is anything that causes you to love God less. 
So it could be that couch makes you love God less and all those other furnishings make you love God less because you're giving less and less and less in the form of your offering. Hey, do you realize how good it is for you to be a faithful giver because it keeps you from being worldly? Because otherwise your heart kind of gets attached to the things of this world and the appearance that they can give you when you're wearing those shoes. My soul, uh, well, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I I like nice shoes too, don't you? I mean, you know, anyways, I like to, I like them if I can make them shine, make it look like my head. And I, I can remember in, in young people today, man, they're all about, you know, the, the shoes. But it was the same thing. I mean, Jordans came out in 1985. I was nine years old. I mean, the very first, now they're retro. And they're like, man, if I had just, held, I didn't have a pair, but if I could have got a pair and just held on to them. Isn't it a crazy? And, and look, I hope you don't misunderstand me tonight. If you're wearing a pair of retros right now, I'm, I'm not against you. Ooh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, but here, here can be the problem. That can become your identity. And your whole life can be about shoes, clothes, cars, houses, jobs, people, things, things, things. And it crowds God out. I know people that used to work a bus route, but that don't anymore because they got involved in the things of the world. They didn't get involved in sin per se, but they just stopped loving God the way they ought to love God and started loving themselves more and more. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. They're not of the, they're not of the Father, but they're of the world. He gives two reasons why you ought not love the world. One, one reason is this, is because it takes away from you loving the Father. The final one is this. You say, man, this is the shortest sermon I think I've ever heard now that you just put the two points right there together. I've already preached all of point one. Point two is this. The things of this world, we better recognize this. They're short-lived. It doesn't matter how good it makes you look. It doesn't matter how good it makes you feel. It doesn't matter how, how many likes you get because of it. It does not matter how many views you get because of it. It doesn't matter how many times it gets shared. It does not matter because it won't last. But those who do the will of the Father last forever. Those things are eternal. These things are temporary. Thank God that we get to enjoy his pl- the things of this world and the things that are here that we can enjoy. Oh, there's so many benefits that God gives us. But listen, we've got to remember this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Don't let the things of this lower world define your love for God and what your life's all about. John was concerned because he knew that love for the world could attach itself to the heart and begin to do damage, and it was. I think tonight there's some worldliness that has attached itself to your heart. And I've had to deal with it before God in my own heart life because the first audience of every message is always the preacher if he's trying to preach right. I had to say, God, would you show me where I've got worldliness that's building up in my heart 
worldly values, worldly thoughts, worldly ways. Would you cleanse me of it? And I pray that you do the same thing. Keep yourself in love with God. Because otherwise the world will creep in. Church, let me say something here just a minute. Students, you're about to go home. You're not going to be in the same environment that you've been in for the last several weeks and months. And, and suddenly, you've got all kinds of access. Well, by the way, a lot of us are just kind of wired to the world just by our phones anyways. But you're about to go back to a place that can be dangerous because it's a place of just total freedom. You better love the Father. Make sure the love of the world is not in you. But that's not just for Bible college students. I'm giving a shout out right there because they're about to go home and everybody I think here understands how that is. But that's for every saint of God that's in this congregation tonight, young and old alike, because the world will drag you away. Brother Andrew may still do it in PSD, I'm not sure, but I always try to give an illustration about a happening, a situation that happened in Florida supposedly true story. I did some research years and years ago that, that verified that it was a true account. Of course, Florida is filled with a lot of lakes, and, and, um, but also those lakes have a lot of alligators. A father was working at his home and in the backyard, and his son was swimming. And, and about the time that his young son entered into the water, an alligator entered, entered into the water, and he yelled to his son, Son, get out! Unfortunately, the son turned around from where he was swimming and the, and the dad ran to him and grabbed hold of him at about the same time. I know this sounds like it's just an illustration, but I, the news report showed this, that at the same time that he grabbed hold of his arms, the gator grabbed hold of his legs. Mm. You literally have a tug of war between father and between the beast. He's pulling and a neighbor saw what was going on and somehow was able to manage a rifle and be able to, to take out the life of the alligator and save the son. It's a remarkable story. They did an interview with the son, and they said, uh, young man, can I see your legs? And they sh- he showed him his legs. But then also, he had marks on his arms. And they asked him, what are those marks? And he said this. He said, that's where my dad grabbed hold of me and would not let go. Amen. Some of you are heading into the world. And your heavenly father is saying to you, come back. Turn back. It's called Repentance. You've been thinking wrong. You've been going wrong. The best thing you could do right now is get back to the Father. But thank God that, that the one who's laid hold on us, the Heavenly Father, that He's held on and He's grabbed on and He will not let go. Amen. But you need to understand that there's an enemy to your soul that wants to drag you down and pull you away. Thank God for a Heavenly Father that will not give up on you. Amen. Let's stand together here tonight. <laughs> There's a battle, a battle that's raging for your heart. There's so much on the line, more than what you and I can even recognize with human eyes. Many of you need to hit the altar here tonight and say, dear God, I'm in the midst of this battle in my heart. It's raging right now. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life is just, it's just, uh, deal, it's just raging in my heart. Dear God, all I know to do right now is just pray and ask you to help in the battle that's going on. I sensed serious opposition even to preaching this message today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us 
lest worldliness and worldly thinking should attach itself to the heart of a man or a woman. It's represented here tonight, present here tonight. The heart of a young person. Heart even of a child. I heard today even, Lord, just how important our 9 to 11-year-old years are. How formative they are. And even right there, there could be something that attaches itself to the heart of a child that, if not dealt with properly, could turn to bitterness or resentment or waywardness. Well, God, would you help us tonight? We thank you for the victory. We thank you for the truth of forgiveness and sin, of sin and the knowledge of him who is from the beginning. And the fact that you help us overcome and have helped us overcome, but Lord, resistance is required tonight. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing tonight, page 377. If God spoke to your heart, please come to the altar. If you want to pray with someone, be very, very good to do so. As Brother Aaron leads us, would you come on this verse?